Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Well, the Nigel Burton football camp is in its 12th year. Third graders through eighth graders in the 2023-2024 school year are eligible. Uh, This football camp is uh, held at Jesuit High School. It's a great camp. Nigel Burton's going to be joining us here in a moment, but this camp's like 18 days away. If you are interested in going to the camp, it starts June 20th to the 23rd. Basically, it's a 12.30 to 4 p.m. day for your kid. The camp registration is $230 if you go online to NigelBurtonFootballCamps.com. But Nigel has been kind enough. We were talking about this before the show. He's got he's got some sponsors that will scholarship some kids in. So if you have a kid, third grade to eighth grade, he's agreed to do five scholarships for kids third grade to eighth grade. Uh, 503-417-7575 is the number. First five callers that call in, you're going to need to give uh, your name and your phone number. We will pass that along to Nigel. Um, in a, The first five to call in at that number will get a scholarship into the camp. Your kid can go to the football camp. Um, and uh, there you go. First five at 503-417-7575. Grab those spots if you have a kid who wants to go to camp. Nigel Burton joining us now. Did I get that right? Did I get it all right? I think you did better than I could have ever dreamed of doing. This is why they pay you the big bucks, Johnny. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was trying to figure out uh, the ages of the camp. You know, and, and give me an idea because you're out, you're out there third grade to eighth grade. Um, that's that's a good time to like develop skill set, learn some football. Or, is this is this camp okay for kids maybe who have never played before? Oh, of course, yeah. And to be honest with you, look, it used to be K through eight, and uh, I'm not gonna lie, there were a couple of five and six year olds who broke me. <laughs> <laughs> I realized that, like, because I was always worried, John. I was always worried. I'm like, man, you know, I'm an old. I'm an old grizzly college football coach. I, I don't want to make these little kids cry if I like, you know, I'm trying to like get them to pay attention. And what I realized was it's they actually it was it was the opposite. They made me cry. Oh. And they was like, they're killing me right now. So uh so yeah, I was like, oh, maybe maybe kindergarten is a little a little too young. But look, honestly, if there's a first or second grader, you've got a first or second grader and they just they're really into it and they can just pay attention. I don't care. It's not that big a deal. It was just, it was one, it was a couple years we had kindergartners and I would go home and, and I'm not going to lie. Um, a lot of times I had to, I had to have a few beers just to get through the day. day. I was like, it's the, 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 the eighth graders are not the problem. The sixth graders are great. They're the best fifth, fourth, the kindergartners almost destroyed me. I've, I've, I, I have broken down. I have coached, in the NFL for a cup of coffee with the Denver Broncos. I have coached guys who were all pros who had the whole ego thing going and no problem. 
it was it was a six year old named Dexter that almost killed me. <laughs> Always <laughs> and that's Dexter. All, all it was. <laughs> Always Dexter. Um, that's how it goes. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. First five to grab those scholarships. Uh, we'll go to the camp. Get your kid scholarshiped into the camp. Nigel, uh, you you mentioned the NFL. You've coached at Portland State. You've coached in college. Uh, you mentioned the cup of coffee in the NFL. How different is the coaching? At each level, when you when you get to the NFL level, how is that different maybe than when you're coaching a high school kid or you're coaching even in the Pac-12? Well, I mean, obviously, from a knowledge base, it's different, right? I mean, when you're coaching in the league, you're not really trying to explain what cover two is. For the most part, they they know that. What was interesting to me, what was funny was because I was I was with Coach Shanahan and we had. You know, Al Wilson was our middle linebacker. Well, here, here's the part that was really a mind-blowing experience for me. I ended up coaching a friend of mine who I played with at the University of the Pacific, Donnie Spragan, was on that team. Hmm. And so I'm trying to get Donnie, like, hey, you know, so we, I'd go, you know, we'd catch up after practice. And, and I'd be like, hey, Donnie, like, I don't want to mess you up, man. I know you're trying to make this team. He's like, listen, jerk, you're the coach. Like, <laughs> just tell me what I'm supposed to do here. I'm like, yeah, but, like, I just, like, I want to make sure you make it. I don't want to, like, mess you up. Uh, but we, we kind of were, we were in that year. It was the year after they won the Super Bowl. You know, Terrell Davis was still on the team. Shannon Sharp was our tight end. Um, you know, uh, John Elway had just retired. And so Steve Berline was our was our quarterback. So it was, it was kind of an interesting transition year because there were still high expectations for the team. And the thing that was that I kind of realized after coaching college for all those years and then, you know, making this move up was it was pretty much the same. Hmm. You know, it was just kids. You know, it was just they were just paid kids, uh, but they still cared about what they did. And if if they thought that all you cared about was how they performed on Sundays, they would not play for you. They had to know that you cared about them more than what they could do on the field. No different than college. You know, and if you did that, then they would do anything for you. And they cared about each other. And, you know, you had to, you know, you know, you had to manage it. There were a few egos. I mean, Shannon Sharp was not the same as, like, trying to coach, you know. You know, but I had Terrell Buckley. We had, you know, we had some guys that, you know, had been around. And, and for the most part, everybody was, was just a solid guy who, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was interesting how similar it was. The only difference is having coached high school college and then the NFL was just the fact that, yeah, from a knowledge base, you know, you could just throw terms out. And for the most part, they understood. Whereas, you know, yesterday I'm, you know, I got my guys at Jesuit high school and I'm okay. This is what cover two is. And there's mm-hmm. the reason we call it cover two is because there's two guys that are deep and there's five underneath players. You weren't doing that in the league. Um, you might find yourself doing that in college now. I'm not going to lie. You know, the, you know, the knowledge base is a lot different for a kid coming in from high school. So yeah. Speaking you know, of cover was, two, it, Speaking of yeah. cover two, I think fans sometimes could use a primer because sometimes you'll see maybe the corner doesn't do a good job of rerouting the receiver on a cover two, and it looks like um, you know everybody blames the safety who's trying to get over. Oh, he got burned, he got beat. And you go, yeah, well his teammate didn't help him in that situation, <laughs> and you know that's the stuff you see on film. But as a coach, you recognize that immediately. You know, that's the one thing. If anybody's given me a compliment that I've tried to stay with doing this TV and, and, and radio stuff was, you know, I try to do a good job when I'm on the Pac-12 network of explaining the game to somebody who understands the game and knows the game and maybe played the game, but also and, and not dumbing it down to where they're irritated, but then also to the person who's a novice, like, 
being able to explain things in a way that also doesn't lose them. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of times, and especially on the defensive side of the ball, that happens all the time. You know, some corners chasing somebody down the field and they get blamed for getting beat when that wasn't the coverage, you know, and trying to explain like, yeah, it wasn't really that, it was this. Um, you know, but that's kind of the life of uh, of a defensive coach, man. I I swear, if I could go back in time, I would coach receivers and coach quarterbacks because <laughs> it is uh, it's just a you know it's one of those things where you know on defense you can have ten guys doing the right thing, and all it takes is that one guy who doesn't do his assignment right. Next, you know, you know you're uh, you're you're going home telling your wife, well, we're gonna pack up and uh, we gotta get a new job because we just got fired. Uh, Nigel, and you know that's how it works. Nigel Burton, Pac-12 Network analyst with us, uh, University of Washington football player, coached in the Pac-12 and beyond. Uh, let me ask you about Oregon State. Uh, saw a report, had a media member saying there's so much pressure on DJ Uyunglele. Uh What does Oregon State need from DJ, in your mind, next season t- to win? You know, I think any pressure that's on him is not is, is gonna is gonna come from everybody outside that building. So I, I guess that's the good part. And obviously it's going to come from him because he wants to do well. Uh, I would not completely write off Ben Goldbranson. I'm telling you. Like, they, listen, the guy went 7-1 as a starter at Oregon State last year. He knows the system better than DJ does. He obviously doesn't have the physical tools necessarily, but he throws a good football and he can win at that level. So they know they have that ace in that hole. I think for DJ – you know, in watching what Clemson does, and he had a quote that, and and credit to Dabo Sweeney, and I'm not a huge Dabo Sweeney fan, but you know, whatever. Um, he, he he, DJ had a quote where he basically was. It seemed to allude to the fact that he now can play quarterback, and that's not what Clemson asked him to do. And he, you know, he can now do some things that are more in his wheelhouse. And and people try to, of course, and you know, in that part of the country, take it as a slight towards Clemson. But DJ wasn't being dishonest, man. He really wasn't. Like, what Clemson asked him to do was not play quarterback. They asked him to play glorified running back, quarterback sometimes. Whereas what Jonathan Smith is going to ask DJ to do is make decisions before the snap, drop back, play actual quarterback like he's going to be asked to do if he makes it to the NFL, and deliver the football on time and be accurate. That's playing quarterback. And that's not what they asked him to do at Clemson. You know, when you're talking about RPO games, read zone and, and some of that, those, you know, read, you know, uh, read zone play action game and all that kind of stuff. That's not, that's not what they asked him to do. So he's, he's got a pretty big learning curve. I would argue that more is going to be asked of him than was asked of, 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 of whether it was Chase or Ben last year, only because they're going to be minus some weapons that they had last year, in particular the receiver spot. And, when you looked at Oregon State last year at the receiver spot, they were as loaded as anybody, and I don't care. I'll put I'll put Oregon State's receivers up against USC's receivers last year. I mean, they were uber talented. They had basically a four by one track team running around out there. I mean, they were fast. They had size. I mean, they were they were scary good. And with the departure of a few guys, you know, I'm not sure they look exactly the same. So if I'm coaching against Oregon State, I'm going to load the box, stop Damian Martinez slow down jam Griffin, you know, and see, you know, the guys were left, you know, Anthony Gould, the Silas Boldens who, you know, Gould had a great year last year, but, you know, they didn't rely on Silas last year. You know, you've, you've got some guys that are gone. Can they win games for you? And so I just think more is going to be on whoever the quarterback is. You know, I think DJ's got a, a really obviously a good shot. They didn't bring him in for no reason. 
But again, Beaver fans, I would not write off Ben Colbranson at all. Nigel, Oregon on the defensive side of the ball. Dan Lanning has come on the show. We've talked about defensive identity and how they didn't really have one last year. But you're a defensive-minded guy. You played defense. You coached defense. How does a team shape a defensive identity? Where does that come from? Oh, you know, what I've learned over the years, it's not about your scheme. It's about trying to get guys day-to-day to just buy into a mode of being, if that makes sense. Right, like it doesn't matter whether you're a four three three four three five five. You can be a you know a cover two team, cover four team, man press, zero coverage. I mean, I've seen it done so many different ways. But ultimately, the the great defenses they have just a way that they approach their business, and it starts with everybody's assignment sound, and you do your job. The end. Like, do your job. And then from there, we're going to be as physical as we can. We're going to swarm the football. And, and I think those things are way more important than, like, schematic stuff. You can find, I don't care, Jolie Dunn, I don't think ever played a zone coverage in his life when he was, you know, a coordinator at, in the SEC. And then you got other guys who, like, that's all they've done. You know, I mean, uh, the, you know, you, the, the Tony Dungeons of the world and, you know, you go down the Tampa 2 stuff, those, they never played man. And so you can be successful in a bunch of different ways, but the approach was always the same, you know, being physical at the point of attack and some things. And I think that the, the challenge for, for, for Coach Lanning is, you know, Oregon, that's not really what Oregon – Oregon hasn't been known for their defense since Nick Aliotti left, right? So how do you kind of rebuild that sense of swagger on that side of the ball when forever, you know, uh, a lot of their games were track meets? And so, you know, that, that confidence is tough to build and trying to get them to do it day in and day out. And you don't have the same kind of guys you have at Georgia. It's just not the same. Um, and so if you can do that and just get them to kind of, this is how we go about our business, and you get a couple of games where you get some confidence in you and, and things like that, then, then you, can, you can build off of that. Colorado is a lot of attention. They're going to be on Fox the first two weeks of the season, big noon kickoff. Um, I've kind of wondered about coaches in the Pac-12. Will they circle the Colorado game on the schedule because of all the buzz? Are they tired? Does this stuff chap other coaches? I mean, stuff, I mean, all the attention's been on Colorado. What do you make of that? Do you think Colorado will enter, you know, Pac-12 play with everybody going, Can't, I've never been so excited to play Colorado? I don't think so. I mean, I think, I think coaches – you know, you 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 know, everybody's got that one guy who kind of irritates them. <laughs> but but you know, it's you know, you don't if you're into the circle in the calendar kind of guy. I mean, I just think your your time in the in the business is going to be short lived. I think uh, now, I, I think the biggest issue for Dion is the fact that like if Dion suited up, he'd probably be their third most talented player. Like that's going to be the issue. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. Like they they've got they are so talent deficient there. I mean, it, it's been. I mean, it's 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 head scratching to the point of like what was happening there, you know, under under you know the, the previous staff, and so uh, there's going to be a ton of rebuilding. I, I hope that Colorado has a ton of patience um, because the hype machine has been going, you know, and yeah. and you know, good for them, man. I'm I'm excited for them that people are excited about Colorado football. That's dope. But when it doesn't show up in the box score, I just hope that people understand, like you know. Hey, you're, you're going to have to be patient because, yeah, you can turn it around overnight, 
but not with the kind of guys you're going to want to see on Friday nights <laughs> and Tuesdays. Like you're not going to, you know, not if you want to do it right. And and what's funny is what I think people don't give Coach Sanders enough credit for um, is when you really like watch some of the videos they have coming out of that program, how much of it is him talking to those young men about life and making good decisions and being good, you know, sons and fathers and what he wants from them when football's done. And so I think he's trying to build it the right way, you know, and obviously everybody's excited because of who he is and things like that. But I think in the grand scheme of things, the way he's trying to do it is the right way. And it's just going to take a while. And I, I just hope they have the patience to, to, to work with it. Yeah, and I, cause I think, too, you know, he, they may have some skill position players, and the spring game kind of highlighted that a little bit, but uh, they don't have the depth on the offensive line, defensive line. They're not there, and I think it'll take them a couple years to get there. Nigel Burton is with us, Pac-12 Network analyst. Um, Washington, let's finish with Washington. That's your school. Kalen DeBoer had a great first season, 11 wins. How hard in, How hard is it to take a step forward? Because everybody's going, okay, what's the next step? How hard is it to take a step forward when your first step was 11 wins? <laughs> well, I mean, I, again, I think you can take a step forward. It may not always show in the box score. You know, I think, you know, you look at, in particular, in the first half of the season, how inconsistent their team was. I mean, how do you beat Oregon? How do you take Michigan State behind the woodshed and then lose to Arizona State on the road the way they did, right? And so – um, what they got towards the second half of the season was consistency and they, they, they the, the level of buy-in. Um, and so I think they can take steps in particular on the defensive side of the ball. And you can take steps when all of a sudden, like when your best players are all coming back, you know, you defensively, you got ZTF is back and, you know, you got, you got some guys and obviously on offense and you got Penix and you're, you know, Roma Dunze and you, know, you got, you got, you know, uh, almost all your running backs, almost all your offensive line, you know, Jackson Kirkland's gone to the league, you know, Papa, he's gone. But for the most part, like, you've got most of your firepower back. And those guys understand how close they were last year. Um, I, I actually think the job is, is, is out there. I think the interesting part for them is not this year. It's what happens next, the year after this. Like, a year from now, what kind of conversation we have? Who's going to be the quarterback? Who are they going to be the receivers? What does the defense look like? You know, can you build off of this momentum? Because that's the tough part. You know, when you look at, um, you know, you made this huge jump. Was, were you able to turn that into recruiting success? Are you able to bring in the kind of guys that you're going to need to keep this thing going? Because I've been there. And that place, you don't get rings at the University of Washington. Like, I, I hear about other programs and, oh, we got a bowl ring. You don't get bowl rings at the University of Washington. I don't know if anybody knows that, John. You get one ring, maybe two. You get a ring for a Pac-12 championship, and you get a ring for a national. And if you don't get those, you don't get nothing there because that is a level of expectation when you walk into Husky Stadium and you don the purple and the gold, and that's just how it works. And so bowl games ain't good enough there. And so what's going to be interesting is what happens in year three, four, five, uh, and as long as they're able to hang on to their coordinators like they did, they're able to hang on, you know, and they're able to recruit well and, and all those sorts of things in a way that, you know, I think Kalen has really embraced, you know, the culture there and his daughter's going to school there playing softball and they're in the World Series, you know, call the, you know they've, they've made it far in, in the, the, the softball championships. Uh, then I think everything will be, will be great for them. 
NigelBurtonFootballCamps.com. You want to see more about the football camp. Uh, Nigel, I appreciate you uh, coming on the show, sharing your expertise. Uh, I think we still have uh, a spot or two left if you want to scholarship your kid for the camp uh, coming up on June 20th. I'm going to put Nigel on hold so that uh, he can get the information for the people who called in. But if you would like to call in and send your kid to the Nigel Burton Football Camp, 503-417-7575 is the phone number. He's offering a scholarship. Grab it while it lasts. you got the BFT statewide. Leave it here. I mentioned earlier that uh, Oregon has advanced with a win in their, I guess they just won a game, won their opening game in the uh, Nashville Regional beating Xavier. Um, Oregon State is in the Baton Rouge Regional. They'll uh, play their game coming up here in about uh, 35 minutes, first pitch, uh, going into the weekend. Big weekend for college baseball. It's been a weird week on uh, on uh, sports media nationally. This whole thing with FS1's show Undisputed is really interesting. Shannon Sharp, Skip Bayless. Um, I, I've talked with Shannon Sharp once. Don't know him that well. Covered him when I was covering the NFL in uh, the 99-2000-2001 era and working in the Bay Area as the uh, NFL columnist, Major League Baseball columnist there. Um, got to see him play, terrific player. Don't know him, always respected him. I like Shannon Sharp. I like. I mostly like what Shannon Sharp, his takes too, even though I don't agree with him. I like where Shannon Sharp comes from. I think he does a good job speaking as a, Former athlete, right? Former athlete. Um, you know, he's talking about John ja Morant, right? Look, Ja is a really Ja is a really good basketball player. Ja did everything he could to lift himself and his family out of this type of environment and to get away from this. And for some reason, he wants to surround himself with these type of people. Why, bro? You not hard. That's not your life. People that in that life would give anything to be in your life. Great point. For some reason, you're worth thirty. You're worth all. You got a two hundred million dollar contract, and you want people in the NBA to think you hood, to think you gangster, mm -hmm. because you roll with these type of people, bro. You putting yourself in harm's way when you don't have to. Nobody looks at you, John. Think, man, that's a thug. He hood. <laughs> he down. He bought that. You not. Mm. Stop pretending. Now, Shannon Sharp, Skip Bayless. It's not undeniable that the show Undisputed has become, uh, you know, it's become a, uh, I don't want to say it's a tentpole. I don't want to say it's a must-watch because it isn't. Sometimes I'm confused why people watch these shows at all. It's just people arguing. But it's um, it's one of the more popular shows. And uh, apparently Shannon has had enough of working with Skip Bayless. And, um, you know, this has been a story for the last 48 hours, really, and also a story that has cropped up at different times as Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless, the co-hosts of the show, have had issues. Now, Dan Clark is a baseball writer who is on Twitter. He's got about 50,000 followers. He tweeted out a tweet saying, Shannon Sharp has outgrown Skip Bayless. He is far superior. He has a wonderfully bright future ahead. Bayless will not find another partner. His career is in a nosedive because he is a piece of bleep. Now, that that was... The tweet. Shannon Sharp liked the tweet. Everybody's making a big deal over the fact that he liked the tweet. But don't we already know kind of what Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp, how they feel about each other? 
I can tell you in working with Skip Bayless, I worked with him for a brief period of time as I was that NFL columnist. He was a general columnist at the same paper, at the San Jose Mercury News. And, you know, we didn't work that long together. It was like one NFL season. But I sat next to Skip often. I talked to him frequently. I found him to be a much different person in having a one-on-one conversation than he was on air. I've told the stories before. Like, he's drinking a Tab Cola. He's eating sushi. He's real kind of soft-spoken. He's telling me about his training, his running regimen. Uh, he's giving me career advice. He's telling me, go to go go up to Oregon. There's no voice there. You'll become the voice of or- of the Northwest. There's, no, there's just nobody there. There's no voice. It's a vacuum. You know, he was in my ear telling me that. Uh, simultaneously, then you turn the cameras on, and, you know, Skip Bayless turns into a parody of a guy who's doing, I guess, sports media in today's world and and uh, has been uh, has made a lot of money doing it. If you make enough goofy predictions, the well, odds are that eventually you're going to get one right. You're right, you're right. So Charles had predicted that Portland would win game one, right. and now he has quadrupled down. Sweet. That Portland will sweep your Los Angeles Lakers. And I say you better gloat while you can, Nostra Chuckus, <laughs> because it ain't going to last much longer. That was in better times. The relationship between Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp has, has cooled considerably in recent years. I think Skip can be really difficult to work, be, you know, to work with. I found that I did not have problems with him. But I was not in direct competition with him for airtime or mic time. I think it could be a uh, unrelenting and frustrating endeavor to try to have to work alongside Skip Bayless. And there were other people, I'm not going to speak for them, who worked at the paper who had to deal with him in that setting. And I got to tell you, to a person, they all had a problem with Skip. Every one of them had a problem with Skip. He was difficult. He needed the limelight. He needed all the oxygen in the room. It becomes evident in watching this uh, soap opera play out with Shannon Sharp that Shannon's kind of just had enough of it and has negotiated a buyout from FS1. I think Skip will be fine. He has, uh, uh, he's a wonderful self-promoter. He, they will find someone else for him to argue with or they will have him argue with himself. Uh, I think Shannon's got a career in front of him as well. I think, but I think you know the, the, the dirty little secret is that if both of these guys really wanted this thing to work, I think it could have worked, and I think it could have been even better. But I think we're kind of watching a interesting flashpoint or a pivot point in with the shoulder programming we're seeing on ESPN and FS1 and in other places. As you see Pat McAfee sign a big deal with ESPN. You have Dan Patrick, who's in his 60s, who's kind of sailing on, doing his thing in the background. And now you have questions about will Shannon Sharp be able to do this on his own and who do they pair with Skip Bayless? I have a bigger question. I have a bigger question, Stephen, and for the listeners. Why does anybody watch this stuff? I don't really understand the point of it other than maybe it's interesting to see people with dissenting viewpoints argue with each other. But I find some of the other shows like Dan Patrick's show when it's on TV, even Jim Rome when he was interviewing people, um, the the McAfee show, I find it far more compelling because I think there's a depth to it that does not exist when you just have Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp arguing over 
whether Alden Smith was a bigger gain for the Seahawks or a bigger loss for the Cowboys. Bigger gain for the Seahawks or bigger loss for yeah, the Cowboys? Sure. Bigger gain for the Seahawks because we didn't give up nothing. We got it. Oh. It took us a little, took us like six months, but you we got it. You don't even like it. Yeah, I like it. I you like do it, not like it. I like it. him a lot better now. Yeah, he the door. duped you, Mr. <laughs> Seahawk. He had three of his five sacks, as Jenny just said, at Seattle. He was second on your team in sacks, and he was making a couple of million dollars, and one guy was making $21 million. Steven, why does this work? Why do people tune into it? Um, I think you're right on with the fact that people like to see these arguments because people like chaos, I feel like, and they're not directly a part of it. They're just watching it from afar. So they feel like they're watching. You know, it's like a car wreck, right? Like it, it's know, reality TV, yeah, it's but reality. it's not reality. But right. it's not reality. It's, not. it's fake the, reality. Right, because they are manufacturing all these arguments to make sure they're on the show. I don't get it. I don't like these shows as well, um, just like you don't. But I can kind of see it where also, you know, they are fans of teams, right? You know, Skip loves the Cowboys. Shannon loves the Lakers. So if you're a Cowboy fan, you're a Laker fan, they're always going to back their team, even if it's crazy. And it doesn't matter. So I feel like it just screams to, like, the craziest of sports fans out there that just love to see chaos and love to see arguments. So, you know, it is interesting to see, you know, Shannon leaving because – you know, obviously him and Skip don't like each other. Um, you know, there's been reports out there. You know, Pat McAfee said on his show, like Shannon come to ESPN. Stephen A. Smith said the same thing. If he wants to come to first take, he can come to first take. So I think Shannon's in a good spot right now. And he's chose a great time to uh, buy himself out of that contract at Fox Sports and uh, get a better, bigger, yeah. better contract somewhere else. And I, I kind of wonder about Skip because, you know, Skip is older than people think. Uh, Skip's had some work done, you know, and and I thought Skip was, you know, but Skip's whole thing, you know, he's on Twitter. He's got 3.2 million people following him. He follows nobody. It, it's a it's a shtick, right? He follows nobody because the perception is I don't care what anybody else thinks. Uh, only what I say matters. And I think it's exhausting to have to deal with that or work with that for any length of time. Now, again, I didn't have to, uh, I didn't have to deal with Skip. But do you know how old Skip Bayless is? Ooh. Take a stab. Take um, a stab without looking it up. Well, now that you said he's older, I'm going to go on the older side. Um, I would go like sixty-six. He's seventy-one. Oof. He's. I mean, you know, he's kind of done. Shannon Sharp's fifty-four, and and Shannon, I like Shannon. I think Shannon Sharp could do it, uh, could do that show with Dan Lebetard. I think he could do it with, uh, he could do it with any number of uh, ESPN personalities. But I also kind of just wonder, like, has he had enough? I kind of think that Skip's got, the, you know, six months, a year, year, year and a half left in him. I I agree with the the tweet mostly, but I think you also have to look back and you have to kind of appreciate what Skip Bayless has constructed for himself. In a world that is, um, I think, really difficult to, uh, you know, to have longevity. It's a business that's tough to have longevity in. He's definitely changed the game, for sure. Like, he was, you know, one of the originators of the argument. But do you think that with Skip and his Shannon, the, the, if they go to a new new co-host or Shannon goes to first take, that that's not going to work as well because of the race factor? That it would be, you know, on first take it would be Stephen A. Smith and Shannon Sharp. Yeah. Does Skip have to get another African-American on that show to argue with, is that a big key to the success of these type of shows? I think it was a key to Shannon and, and Skip, and I think it worked because I think people tuned in when they were, like when it came to issues of race in particular, you know, and, and I think it, it really was a flashpoint when, you know, they were arguing over Tom Brady 
I saw them argue over Tom Brady like a year ago, and it, and it, it was an argument that really went sideways. And it, I kind of wondered if it was the beginning of the end at that point because Skip Bayless does not um, does not question Tom Brady. And yet you had quarterbacks who were black quarterbacks in the league that didn't get the same treatment from Bayless, and I think it chapped Shannon Sharp. And so I do think the show worked best when you had – um, two opinionated guys, one guy who's played in the league, one guy who covers the league. That works. You have one guy who is African-American, another guy who's white. That works because you can talk about different elements of race from different perspectives. Um, like it's quite different to hear Shannon Sharp talk about John Morant in the way that he's talking about John Morant, saying, you know, look, you're not in the hood. And, and Skip Bayless couldn't have that same take. And so I think in a lot of ways Skip needs – either somebody who's very different from him um, or or even a woman who's got strong opinions and is, and is you know willing to stand up to him and I think that would work for the show but I kind of think it's 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 run its course to some respect and and you know I kind of think that's that's how it is and but you know let's give skip Bayless some credit I mean yeah you talk about inventing the genre of you know reality television that isn't reality television and just arguing um that's in there and he's done that but i actually would like to see maybe uh shannon try to do his own thing i don't i don't i wouldn't want to see him alongside stephen a smith i just think the dynamic i like the dynamic of stephen a smith uh you know alongside jj reddick i really like jj reddick and how the point counterpoint that happens there you know, and again, it's quite quite the opposite because Stephen A. Smith has not played in the NBA. J.J. Redick has, and so now you have this really interesting dichotomy uh, in this relationship between somebody who covers the league, somebody who played in the league. I like that because it's a it's a very different viewpoint, and and I love and it's such a lazy argument, like for the player to to say you haven't played, therefore you don't know. It's such a lazy argument for players to go to that position because. You know, media members could just go to the position, you're too close to it, you can't be objective, you're just protecting coaches and players with your viewpoints. I think it's much better when they're able to step outside of their own experience and just kind of talk about what they see, what they perceive, and it's laced with their own experience. It, is, it doesn't have to become, you're the defender. And I, I love that about Shannon, because I think Shannon sometimes will criticize players in a way that is jarring to me, and I like that. And uh, I, I, I hope he keeps – I hope he finds a spot somewhere because I, I actually think of the two of them, if they're talking, I'm more interested in what Shannon Sharp's saying than, than Skip Bayless. I'm more interested in what J.J. Reddick's saying than, than Stephen A. Smith. 100%. And it's not even the fact that they played and Skip and Stephen A. didn't. I, I just think they come across as much more knowledgeable in a lot of different areas. You know, as a basketball guy like J.J. Reddick – actually watches the games. I don't know if Stephen A. Smith necessarily is watching all these games and can break it down. He's good at these hot takes, but a lot of these guys that come in that are, you know, analysts or experts in their field, some are really good. You know, Tim Legler, JJ Reddick, all he's really yeah. good and that kind of stuff. Like I think Shannon's the same thing. Like when Shannon talks, I want to listen to hear what he has to say. I think he has a great view on points where I think these other guys, you know, Stephen A and uh, Skip Bayless in particular, not necessarily. And, and I think so. there's a lot of imitators too of Skip and Shannon. And and I think they, you know, both of them maybe, I hope they take a moment to kind of reflect on what they did because I think some of the other shows were definitely influenced by what they were doing. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to talk more about college baseball, college football, 
Also, I'm going to look to the weekend, game two of the NBA Finals. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.